It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Talking City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy, and joining me on this jubilant day for Manchester City is, of course, Mr. Joe Bray. Joe, how's it going? Not too bad. It's been a nice, easy day because there's been a lot of stuff to write about, as you, as we'll talk about. But uh, I spent most of my day, I've got to be honest, looking at Patrice Ever absolutely losing his head on that uh, on that interview. But uh, now I'm, I'm sure we'll find some other stuff to talk about. Oh well, well, we'll definitely touch on that absolutely. But before I, I just, I just wish I'd have gone to your last because I could have done a really good um, kind of segue into City not leaving some sort of excrement in the trousers this time but instead I have to first introduce Mr Tyrone Marshall. Ty, how's it going? Yes, very good. Thank you uh, Dan, very good. Uh, still buoyed by by what we witnessed last night. It was pretty incredible wasn't it? Oh it absolutely was you know and me and City have one thing in common if nothing else and that is that we've packed our bags for a trip away because City have of course booked it's to Istanbul for the Champions League final on June 10th. It was an incredible night on Wednesday evening, a 4-0 victory over Real Madrid to win the semi-final 5-1 in aggregate. Ty, you was there and what a, uh, what a just a remarkable, remarkable night it was. Yeah, it was just absolutely spellbinding, wasn't it? We've just been talking off air uh, a little bit about how good it was and it was a phenomenal performance. I'm not sure I can remember Guardiola's City playing better, certainly for the first 45 minutes. I thought that was up there with the stuff that his great Barcelona teams used to produce when we all, you know, we, we all salivated over the quality of that Barcelona team and um, at the risk of giving another publication uh, some publicity, there's a good piece in the Times today about how we maybe don't do that with City because it's just so close to home and and we see them every week, but they deserved it last night because because that forty five minutes was peak Barcelona for me. That's as good as Guardiola's teams get. Um, you know, I I did my morning piece on it. It's, it's I think it's about three weeks since he said perfection in football doesn't exist. But that forty five minutes is is as close as you will ever get to it. We all, we all know what Guardiola's like. I'm sure he's he's found several things from that first half that mean it, it wasn't quite perfect, but. It was it was pretty close. It was just an, a phenomenal, phenomenal performance. It, it had everything. It was brave. The intensity for me was astonishing. The intensity with which they played this deep into a season. You know, I can, I can remember just before the World Cup and, and Guardiola talking in press conferences saying, "We'll only know the effect it's had on players in in April and May." Really, and from Europe, no one is at is at this level. Not in terms of performance, but in terms of energy and intensity, and they're doing that with quite a small squad, and be be something for the end of the season to kind of look at and assess what exactly they did to keep their players this fresh. But Real just couldn't; they couldn't live with them last night. It was it was remarkable. I mean, we're just saying that Real Madrid completed thirteen passes in the first fifteen minutes. You know, Real Madrid thirteen passes with well, Modric can, and Cruz. I can actually do one better. The half an hour mark, thirty minutes in. Um, the passing stats came up, and Madrid at that point were averaging one point five passes per minute, which is just <laughs> astonishing. I, mean, I imagine City do that in ten sec- um, a second. Um, yeah, well, I was just saying to Joe, it would be nice. You, you know, you when you're there at the game, you're obviously looking down occasionally and you're typing. But you know, I want to watch the game back at some point because it felt like there was a spell of fifteen to twenty minutes where they literally didn't get out of their own half and they just couldn't get the ball forward. Um, the quality of City's pressing was brilliant, but then as soon as they did go forward, 
just as they got it near halfway, uh, Rodri Gundogan and John Stones were first to everything. I thought Stones was unbelievable for the first 20 minutes. You know, I mean, they were all good for the 90 minutes, but Stones for the first 20 minutes, it's as good as you'll see any midfielder ever play. I thought he was just absolutely phenomenal in winning the ball back, moving into spaces, and, and City set up probably made it easy for him. But yeah, it was just a, a majestic performance from from start to finish, really. I remember writing in... Um, you know, when we're at the grind, we do these updates for our for our match day blog, and I remember writing into four twenty minutes saying City are on top here and totally dominating the game, but they've not scored and they need to score when they're on top. This is what Real Madrid do to you. And little did we realise at the time that they were going to be on top for ninety minutes, and it wasn't it wasn't a spell they were enjoying. It was just the game, basically. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want this to kind of come across as like insult or anything, or a kind of a put down. But you know, with these Barcelona comparisons, it's sort of like unless maybe I'm misremembering it because obviously the peak of Barcelona was of Pep's glass Barcelona was 15 years ago now but like to me even when Barcelona were at the best and it's not like they couldn't pass the ball around the teams and just you know bore them to death with that just kind of draining possession but there was always I, I kind of seem to remember a, a, it, it, not this kind of sense of invincibility with that Barcelona even in that Champions League final with United I think the second one like United did equalise like there was a period where they could be getting out. There was like a drama with Barcelona. Obviously, Jose Mourinho did the number on them in the Champions League semi-final, didn't they? Like there was a bit of a kind of vulnerability, a bit more. And we have said that at times. City, I've got that as well. But on on Wednesday, Joe, it just to me, it felt like even kind of maybe not as quite as beautiful as those peak Barcelona's um, Barcelona games, but just so brutally efficient which that's why I didn't want that to sound kind of as a put down because I don't mean it as that even if it makes it seem like it's not as amazing as it was but it was just so it was just kind of effortlessly brutal I, I likened it to like an assassin sneaking into a room and just killing someone with a pillow over the head it was just so matter-of-factly brutal and just elegant at the same time there was like no there was like no blood no screams no evidence no kind of hoo-ha over the murder it was just right that's done on to the next one it was just Avoid, just kind of devoid of any drama whatsoever and I think that's why it was even kind of more impressive in a way because like, while it wasn't as perhaps thrilling I'd, I'd, I think that's fair to say as maybe those peak Barcelona days or even City teams of years gone by it was just so just effortless in a kind of way even though obviously not I think Walker said afterwards like it's absolutely not easy you come out here and try it but to kind of the layman's or the, the, the inexperienced looking on it almost looked easy the way they just completely suffocated best team in Europe ever Lest we forget. No, I think brutal is the right word. And you just said that it's Real Madrid are the best team. That's what makes that performance yesterday so just ridiculous because we've seen City dominate a side and restrict them to no passes and they can't get out of their own half. We see it every week in the Premier League, really. You don't see Real Madrid ever play like that. Real Madrid did not have any clue how to react to that City performance. In the second half, they were 2-0 down, yes, but... They were putting men forwards, but they didn't have a plan. And they were saying on the commentary on BT Sport, and it was spot on. They were just hoping something happened with Vinicius or Benzema or Rodrigo, who didn't do anything over the two legs, really. And when you're bringing off Modric and Kroos and just hoping that Asensio or someone like that does something, I think their game plan was genuinely, let's get a goal back in that second half and hope that City crumble. But you just got the impression City were never, ever going to do that. Uh, even though that 2-0 scoreline has memories from, from last year, City just kept going, didn't they? And I mean, Erling Haaland could have had a hat-trick if, if Thibaut Courtois wasn't having uh, one of the best games he's had since last year's final. And it was just, yeah, it, it was it, it was the fact that it was Real Madrid that kept getting me. I was like, well, we've seen City do this before, but you don't see the kings of Europe who always find a way to come back, even in the first leg when they were under pressure they found a, a strike into the top corner. They, they had nothing, absolutely nothing. I mean, yes, Edison made that save against Tony Kroos, but that is that all they all they really produced? And, and one free kick? You, you don't see that. And I think that is as impressive as anything else. But I, I wrote a piece this morning saying, I think everyone's saying the first half was so brilliant because it was. The second half was sort of a non-event, really just because City managed it so well. They did it in the first leg where they didn't commit too many men forward to um, risk a counter-attack against them as they did in uh, the semi-final last year. This time, they were just they just did everything. They made sure that 
Real Madrid were never ever going to come back into that game and uh, I think as I said the sort of masters of the anti-climax they've, they've beaten Bayern Munich 3-0 they've beaten Arsenal 4-1 Liverpool 4-1 they've challenged United at home everyone's coming into these games expecting a game a, a tie of the ages a, a clash of the titans between these these incredible players but it's all so one-sided this season and that, that's just a credit to just how ruthless and how how drilled City are and and it, yeah we were talking about John Stones earlier and his midfield performance this is the player who Guardiola's not even dared to play in midfield for four years because it went so badly last time and now he's popping up against Real Madrid and and bossing the show from a sort of inverted defensive midfield role it's just yeah it's it's, it's ridiculous how how everything has come together at this stage of the season and I think it was sort of a a peak performance this one that where just everything has come together and they've put four past Real Madrid in the semi-final it, d- it just doesn't happen does it no well I'd love to go back to the podcast uh, back in February or so when I believe me and Simon and perhaps yourself were talking about how they're just not getting on these runs they usually go for, you know 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 20 games unbeaten but are they going to do that this year it doesn't look like it and then all of a sudden what are we actually on now we must be 23 or so now is it unbeaten if not more and it's just completely 23 it's just ridiculous you know, you're saying that first 45 I think Madrid had an XG of 0.1 which was that great cruise shot which Edison did well to tip over and then other than that they had I think Vinicius nearly ran through but Walker came back and got the ball off him and then Benzema nearly got snuck through in behind but Edison was quick off his line and those kind of three little flashes of you know reminding us what Madrid could do made it even kind of more impressive because this wasn't you know, this isn't a bad team. City were quite lucky to escape from the Bernabeu last week with the tie level, I'd say. Um, they were really good in that first half, but they did what tie feared they might do at the Etihad, where they had all the control and didn't really press the advantage. Madrid went in at the, at the half um, ahead and then absolutely kind of really put City's backs to the walls in that second half. But So for City to kind of come you know, come back to Manchester and maybe that maybe the away leg at home and we'll talk about the atmosphere in due course really did help because it was a, a raucous one and they just there was they just steamrolled and that you know and that's what makes it more impressive because this Madrid team weren't bad. I don't even think they particularly had that bad a day themselves. They were just completely put in the place tie and I know is is it Guardiola's most complete kind of European performance of any club he's been at? Because I think for City it's a it's a um, absolutely no doubt. Yeah, I mean, it certainly trumps anything he did at, at Bayern Munich. Um, maybe that second Champions League final for for Barcelona, you know, that was a that was a phenomenal United team. That team and Barca were were majestic that day, and you're doing it in a final, so it, you'd have to compare it with that one, I guess. Um, given the given the stakes, but certainly, you know, it, it was his City masterpiece. I think for for sure that that was. As, as well as they've ever played. I mean, they've never, you know, I said at the end of my piece last night, they've never been this close to the treble, but they've never been this good either, which is remarkable to say when you think for 60% of the season, we've been discussing why they're not that good. Um, it's, it, it, we're not going to count our chickens just yet, but they're, in, they're, they're as close to the treble as they've ever been in a season where we barely even talked about it until maybe March. Um, and even then, I think most people probably had Arsenal down as, as more likely title winners or, or certainly felt it was going to be difficult. So um, it, it is strange that it's kind of snuck up on City. But the, the quality of their football at the moment is is phenomenal. And it, it, it does feel like they're going to take some stop in. The, the difficulty is matching that performance, but it does feel like they're, they're capable of hitting those heights pretty much all the time. I mean, I mentioned to you about talking about the home record before and it, you know, it's absolutely incredible, really. They've won 26 of 28 at the Etihad this season. The only managers to get a result have been called Frank, um, and I don't think I don't think the other Frank's going to get a result uh, this weekend. It'd be fair to say. I think Lampard has, has had his stroke of luck at the Etihad this season. But, you know, 28 games, 102 goals. They've scored four or more against all of the big six in the Premier League in League or Cup this season. Four against Real Madrid, seven against Leipzig. You know, Thomas Tuchel deserves an award for keeping it down to three. It's absolutely incredible the way they're just battering teams. And even at home in the Champions League, I think that's 26 unbeaten now at home in the Champions League. 24 wins, two draws in dead robbers against Sporting and Shakhtar. They've beaten Real, through Real Madrid three times in that. PSG twice, Dortmund twice, I think. Atalanta when they were, you know, everyone's favourite. Golden Boys, um, 
Atletico Madrid, you know, they've they're, they're and they're not just beating these teams often, they're they're smashing them as well. It's it's incredible really. And you know, the Etihad is still for rival fans like a, a source of um bemusement in a way or, or jokes. You know, we hear United fans sing about it all the time. There's lots of fans still still point at the Etihad and and you know, take the mick out of it and talk about empty seats, things that are a bit of a myth and don't really exist now. But when their teams have been there, they, they don't tend to be laughing because the way City are playing at home is is amazing, and you wouldn't you wouldn't think about it and put the Etihad on a par with or above even the Bernabeu or Anfield or Old Trafford or the Yellow Wall at Dortmund or the San Siro, but it is easily Europe's most intimidating stadium at the moment when it comes to the quality of the football, and the fans are are having a contribution to that. It's been interesting to hear the players talk about how comfortable and confident they feel at home this season, and I think we've seen it. In those away games, you know, I thought last week that City, you kind of hinted at it there, that they played within themselves in Madrid, that they, you know, they could have played better had they wanted to, but they didn't want to because they knew they didn't need to. And, you know, Real probably thought 1-1 were in this tie. In reality, they were dead last week because City are just so good at the Etihad. They knew they were just going to smash them. And it's what they did. And we've seen it. You know, they've smashed Leipzig, Bayern and Real Madrid at home and drawn all three away legs because they know if they draw away, then... The, the tie is the tie is over basically, and that is that is how good they are at at home at the moment. Um, you know, it's it's just a, a phenomenal home record this season. Well, a word on kind of the atmosphere that night, Tyler. You were there, and like out, you know, on the TV screen, um, off the TV cameras and stuff, it sounded raucous and. Uh, I saw many describe it as like you rarely see the Etihad like this. For you know, for other kind of reasons we've you've touched on there, but um, you know, for Guardiola himself has kind of bemoaned how it can get a little quiet sometimes in kind of the the less important matches. But when everything's on the line, it it's as you say, it's as loud and as kind of you know iconic European nighty, I suppose, if you want to make that into a into a noun, than anywhere else. Yeah, definitely, and it's you know the last few seasons it's got much much better on on European nights as well. I think it's you know the the most famous stadiums in Europe come alive on on European nights, and the Etihad is is in that you know is in that category now. I think that you do hear it raucous on on European nights. It was definitely loud last night. We were talking about it post match. I don't know if whether it was as loud as Arsenal. It was pretty close. I mean, that's the best Premier League atmosphere I can remember there for a while, and it does it does feel like everyone's up their game this season. Um, it certainly helped the quality of the the performance and you know the noise. The noise in the first thirty minutes, every time City won the ball back in a good area, was was phenomenal. And the roars were were phenomenal, and there was a lot of a lot of concern, a lot of anger from fans at the way the way City sold tickets, basically, and, and essentially putting them on general sale to anyone who, who registered. And um, quite a lot of concern about day trippers and people going to their first game, being a Champions League semi final. You know, it, it didn't noticeably affect the atmosphere at all. Um, I think there was some concern about Real Madrid fans being in the home end from from people who were on the ground. It sounded like there was a fair few turn away, turned away. We'll never know how many got in because they had absolutely nothing to cheer about. So it was impossible to tell if there was any any fans in the home end. But, um, but yeah, it had no discernible effect on the atmosphere because it was, you know, it was loud and there were there were moments. The rendition of "We're Not Really Here," I think, after the second goal when it was two 0 especially felt like you know it felt spine tingling in the stadium. So. There were moments when it was when it was loud, and it, you know, it, it. One thing you would say is it didn't really let up. I don't recall there being many moments of more than a couple of minutes when it was quiet and, and nothing was happening. It felt like for the ninety minutes there was a there was a din and a noise there pretty much throughout. Well, as, as someone who's only away games this season have been Wembley and Fridays. Uh playoff semi final. I'm certainly not going to call anyone a day tripper. That's for sure. But Joe. <laughs> It would, you know, compared this kind of semi-final to the semi-final a year ago, um, a year ago, and all of City's heartbreaking Champions League exactly, we've kind of become trained, and it's not just City; it's, it's Liverpool matches, it's Barcelona, it's PSG, of course, to kind of expect these just insane comebacks and bottle jobs and re- remarkable turns around in the Champions League. And in a way, this this, I, unless I'm mistaken, I can't really remember anything of the sort in the knockouts this year. And City have been a main culprit of that, and they they certainly won't be bothered in any in any um, any respects because they're just absolutely smashing teams and going through just little to no drama or tension whatsoever. And you know maybe it's made for a slightly less thrilling Champions League to watch this year, but City absolutely will not be bothered in the slightest. And you know they've they've almost sailed through. I mean the aggregate scores 
I've not got to hand, but I imagine there are, they've probably won every tie by at least three goals at the very least. Obviously, the Leipzig one was by six, or seven or eight, wherever it was. Yeah, well, if you look at the results, then City beating Real Madrid comfortably and beating Bayern Munich comfortably, that's not not bad for the neutral, really. You know, you, we went into that game, I was saying I've got no idea, no idea what kind of game to expect. It could be really tight and cagey like the first game or one team could run away with it or it could be a, a ding-dong battle like like the second leg last year and, and we got one of those outcomes and it was just City being, being brilliant. And I think football fans like seeing good football and you, you, you need to see some big teams getting humbled sometimes. I'm not saying that City are a, an underdog in, in any respect, but you know, Real Madrid don't have a, a, a given right to do it and they're not going to do it every single time. They've, they got a, a, a Champions League victory last year by coming back from the dead, I think, three or four times in a row. So I think neutrals will just surely admire the good football that City are playing. I mean, look at Rio Ferdinand, who isn't really a neutral. He couldn't stop sort of singing City's praises after the game because they were so good. And when you beat Bayern Munich and Real Madrid, then... I don't think you can have too many complaints. And was it Bayern PSG in the last 16 as well, which got rid of PSG? That's not a bad battle of two big sides. So, um, I mean, it's one of those, it's that cliche, isn't it? You can only beat what's in front of you. So City aren't going to complain, but at the same time, they've beaten the two best teams. When that draw was made, when City were paired with Bayern and then potentially Real, it was well, you've got to beat the best to, to win the trophy and it can't get any tougher than that. And now suddenly it's, oh, well, it's it's been a bit boring now that City have just won. I don't think you can have it both ways. No, absolutely not. As I say, City will not be bothered in the slightest. But we'll take a little break there and we're back in just a moment. So, you know, let's talk about Bernardo Silva, eh? Back in just a second. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Talking City podcast. Now Ty, I can't believe it's taken us over 20 minutes to get to it, but Bernardo Silva needs his flowers because what a performance. And even if he didn't, even if he hadn't scored the two crucial opening goals, um, we'd be uh, we'd be singing his praises. I'm sure um, the first one it came just after Thibaut Courtois, which shouldn't kind of be forgotten, made one of the best saves I've ever seen to yeah. um, deny Haaland going the opposite the way. The best save tipping. I've ever seen live. Wow. I, Unbelievable! Well, I, you know, it's no Yossi Esclanen in my in my books, but <laughs> who, who is who is? But you know, it was that as you kind of touched on earlier, it was kind of feeling like oh here we go, City are controlling it, but they're not getting through. And all oh, Madrid, they've only had twenty passes and they've only got eighty percent possession, but they've got them right where they want them. They're going to get them at any moment. And just when that maybe creeping anxiety was coming in a little bit, I think you know you, you said there there wasn't never a moment when it let up. But I do think just before the goal, Guardiola after the goal, Guardiola really got them going again. I think the, the nerves were maybe creeping in just a touch, and just just as that happened, a, a minute after that save, Bernardo sneaks in um, through the back line and just absolutely whacks it home. There was no saving that. And then his second goal, about ten minutes later, fifteen minutes later just the most delicate of little headers I mean as we say his, uh, his two goals were worthy of a man of the match performance enough but then you've got everything else on top of it and he was just remarkable once again he was yeah yeah it shows you that you shouldn't rush to, to snap judgments early in games after 10 minutes uh, I remember me and Sai having a chat at the game and saying he's he's been a bit rash early on Bernardo's committed three fouls in the first 10 minutes ones he didn't need to it's allowing Madrid to slow the game and, and kill it down and 
and then 80 minutes later there's you know there's no superlatives left for him so so we'll let him off for those fouls in in the end um yeah it was another astonishing performance wasn't it i mean city's 5 foot 8 fairly slow winger has scored headers against Bayern Munich and Real Madrid and left Alfonso Davis and Eduardo Camavinga with with their heads spinning really it's it's incredible what he does and, and how he does it. Um, I thought his battle with, you know, going back to that Bayern um, first leg, his battle with Alfonso Davis was phenomenal because he's he's never going to beat him or Camavinga for pace, but his intelligence is just off the charts. You know, for going back to, to classic football manager levels, if his um, if his composure and intelligence aren't twenty, then then someone's, someone's doing something wrong because it is, you know, he's just a joy a joy to watch really and. He pulled he pulled right out apart down that flank. The his movements and finding space, his ability to find space. You know the way he found that space for the first goal and sort of just sort of drifting into that that area. Um, you know, involved in the build up. But Stones, Stones and De Bruyne kind of made the moves to open up the space, and Bernardo just ghosted in there. And it was it was a lovely finish. And the quality of that second header. I mean, that was that was world class. You know, when that when that ball's coming back at you off Courtois' leg fairly quickly, you've got defenders on the line. You're only small yourself. It's not like Bernardo's getting a lot of a lot of practice winning headers, but it was it was a brilliant header, and he is just he's so so good, isn't he? I mean, it feels like all of them last night deserve deserve praise for for hitting those levels, but he is absolutely phenomenal. And we've been the last couple of weeks we've been talking about Gundogan and will he won't he leave? Can City cope without him? It wouldn't be somewhere in Manchester without Bernardo Silva's future being questioned. I don't. I don't think it's a secret to anyone now that if Barcelona came calling, he would want to go. Um, the the reality is it's hard to see how they could afford any kind of package that would convince City to do business. But Guardiola has always had this policy of if, if a player's had enough and wants something new, then then bring us an offer and we'll let you go. You, you'd, you'd think Bernardo is perhaps the one player he might say, oh, sorry, I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure about that because you really wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to lose him to that team and whether it's playing in centre mid, whether it's playing on the on the right wing, in in these big games, he is he is incredible. And I know they've got some phenomenal players, and you'd put De Bruyne and Haaland up there. But when when the games, you know, when the games reach this level and this this scale, it always feels to me like Bernardo might just be the first name on the team sheet for for his work rate and the the intelligence of his football and his ability to just make make the whole thing work. Um, you know, he just he just just feels like he knits it all together at times wherever he is on the pitch, whether he's at left back or or right wing, he just makes it better, doesn't he? Absolutely. I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. Because I was going to say to Joe there, like if there was one twinge of sadness to what was an otherwise kind of glorious night in the in the history of City, one that will be remembered for for eons, and you know, if they go on to win it, of course, will be etched into the history books forever. And if there was one twinge of sadness, it was the fact that this might be the, one of the last grand hurrahs of. Bernardo and Gundogan, you know, just dominating a city midfield together at the Etihad in a in a massive game. And if it, and, and you know, if if one or both do do depart in the summer, you know, what a way to kind of you know go out and there's one more game at the Etihad left, of course, on on Sunday, which will which we'll get to. But this was, you know, that might not mean anything when by the time we get to it. So to go out, you know, potentially go out like this. And, you know, don't want to get anyone's fears up. You never know. Hopefully no one's coming for Bernardo yet. As Ty says, there's no, there's not a lot of funds going around. But Gundogan's future still still up in the air with his contract situation and more rumblings from Barcelona on that front as well. You know, if this is, if this is or was the last time them to really just help, you know, Rodri and De Bruyne and the rest of them completely dominate a midfield, Joe. I mean, just savour every moment of it because it was just an absolute masterclass. I think if you lose one, then that's a a big blow in the summer. If you lose both, that's I I, I genuinely don't know what what City would do. Uh, they both have proved themselves in the last few games as so so integral, and it's it's not a surprise that in both legs against Bayern and Madrid, it's been Rodri holding the midfield, Gundogan and De Bruyne ahead of him pushing forward, and uh, Bernardo on on the right and Grealish on the left, and and that. Quintet, if you like, uh, unbeaten in I think eleven games they've they've played together this season. Now, not always in the same positions. I think Bernardo's played at left back on one or two of those. But um, yeah, so it's not a surprise that in in those two games against Bayern and uh, Real Madrid, he started the same midfield of Rodri, Bernardo, Gundogan, De Bruyne, and Grealish. And in eleven games now this season, they're they're unbeaten. And you you expect in in the two finals, City have 
it's going to be those five again. You can't see anyone else displacing them, and that just shows how how important they are. But I mean, last week we were saying how big De Bruyne is in in these games. He scored at the Bernabeu before and after that. Gundogan gets a brace in the Premier League and gets six crucial points that will probably hand the uh, the title to City if they haven't already. And now Bernardo's coming up, so I don't know whose turn it is next in one of the finals. But uh, no, it's they've got big players who come good at the uh, the really big big stages. Yeah, absolutely, and that just speaks to kind of Guardiola's recruitment, doesn't it? Isn't doesn't it? He, he recruits players who got big mentalities, uh, the right attitudes, the the right temperament to deal with the biggest the biggest occasions. And and I saw a good point someone made on on Twitter saying like. When was the last time City got a signing wrong? And even the ones that have gone a little bit wrong, like Danilo or whatever, worked out for the best anyway because they just got him to get Cancelo in. And like, I think the only one that I think the only one that's really gone awry was maybe Claudio Bravo. That was that was probably the only really bad signing City have made. Is it too early to say Calvin Phillips? Well, well, well. we'll He's the one at the moment, isn't he? But I think if you were, you know, to to prove that, and it's not yeah, it's not just. Um, getting signings right, it's Guardiola's ability to improve players as well. And if you know, if you put every single City player on the transfer list this summer, um, which is obviously not going to happen, but if you did, you know, if they were all sold this summer, then ev- everyone would sell for a profit, probably. Maybe with the exception of of Phillips, and maybe a few age-related ones, Grealish. I think you. Probably still get a hundred million. I guess the issue is that City are probably the only club that can really, really pay it. But, um, but you know, he's he's certainly worth that, isn't he? Like, if City were going to sell him, it would be for a hundred million pound plus. But you'd say, you know, I think every player in that squad is probably worth more now than what City paid for them. Which is, you know, as much as people will always throw the money thing at at City, and you know, we were talking about Barcelona before. I think part of the reason this team doesn't get the same respect is because of of what's happened and the charges and. And things like that, um, but you also look at it and the money your city have spent. But the manager has improved every single player really in that in that team, which is is part of his genius. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the charges, of course, you know, we we don't know the results of them yet um, from any tribunals to come. But they are, they do they are an asterisk. It's hard to kind of escape that, of course. When is it 100, 111 charges against the club? Like, it's it's hard to not mention it, of course, but. You know they're not the only club, and City have got unlimited resources. They can afford. You can you can splash forty million on Phillips and it not work out, and you can sell him at a loss and then go and spend forty million on another player, and you know maybe that'll work. So they haven't got as much of a risk as other clubs, but they're not the only club in the the world with near or pretty much close to unlimited funds, and their success rate is just a million times better than pretty much every over one apart from maybe Liverpool at their peak and when you sign you know when you're losing year after year for the last six years City have lost Hart, Zabaleta Yaya Torre Aguero, Silva could lose Gundogan this year and I'm sure Fernandinho of course this summer they've lost either a captain or a legendary player or an iconic player or someone who's been so important to their early success every single year and apart from maybe the year they lost company because they couldn't get a replacement in straight away they've never you could, you've hardly ever noticed them going even when they didn't get a striker in to replace Aguero for the first year it's, it's an astonishing hit rate and um, and the signings he makes Joe they're just I don't know how we've gone to this little tangent but we're here now and we'll talk about how good City have become um, when we talk about I say when we get on to the, who else has played well but like you know when Guardiola came and he says it, he mentioned it himself in the press conference when I came everyone thought oh it's hard really, it's, it's, it's robust it's physical and stuff and he hasn't kind of like been snobby to that or tried to uh, argue that or kind of fly in the face of it he's got a physical quite a physical robust team as well every player is a real athlete and off, off top of me apart from Edison Ruben Diaz and Riyad Mahrez everyone has played in more than one position at some point every player he signs is just an absolute superb athlete with amazing technical kind of proficiency and just complete versatility that make you know even though it's a small squad they must have used the least players of any other team this year in about 20, 21 or 22 and yet they are still going strong have only one player injured going into the last few games and are in two finals and even the players he's had for for years who have just played the same position I'm thinking Walker, Stones Laporte even suddenly they're 
ball playing midfielders and Walker spraying diagonals across the the pitch like um, like a quarter, quarterback and Laporte and Akanji at, at the weekend were basically playing as midfielders, leaving Diaz as the only defender and John Stones, as we've touched on, is herring forward against Madrid and and without a care in the world. And he's, he's it's those sort of innovations that have been as impressive as anything else. He's let's be fair, he's not played with a left back for about three years. Guardiola, he's he's used various midfielders or defenders in that position, and City are three games, maybe even two games away from a treble and they've got Manu Akanji at left back at the moment who was not wanted by Dortmund in the summer and has only really played a centre-back, never played that position. It's just the the versatility he can get from those players and the system that he can create around them to to account for those players learning those positions as they go is as impressive as, as anything else. And one more point I saw about the uh, the Premier League charges is that City haven't lost since they were announced. Now, obviously, whether they're found or not found, we don't know, but they've, it's clearly that's a, a turning point in this season where they needed something to say, right, it's been a bit inconsistent, we've got something to fight for. I think Walker said before the Real Madrid game that there was a feeling in the squad that one more draw or defeat, drop points, was probably going to be it in the title race. they just lost to Tottenham, then these uh, charges come out and... It's certainly, it's certainly good fuel to make into a sort of a us against the world mentality, isn't it? And you know, maybe maybe they did come at the perfect time for City, as you know, troublesome as they are. And you know, I've just got, I remembered the quote when we talked about Gundogan and, and uh, Bernardo and if they leave, and it was like, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. And who said that? But Andy Bernard. Oh, of the office. So, you know, let's hope City's kind of dominance continues, of course. But, Ty, let's get back to Wednesday, of course. We went on a wind and uh, twisting road there. But who else was good on Wednesday night? We've, we showed Bernardo with praise. We showed everyone with praise. But who, who else was specifically good? Uh, Edison, Walker, Diaz, Stones, Akanji, Rodri, Gundry. You get, you're getting the gist of it yeah. now. Um, Got you at about you know, the third I- player. When they were in order, I was like, all right, that's what we're going with. <laughs> no one's coming here. Um, yeah, you know, Akanji was asked in the mix zone last night who was who was City's best player, and he, you know, he just said, I can't, I can't say. They were all, they were all good. Um, I thought, you know, I thought Grealish was really good. You know, there's maybe an argument to say Haaland was probably the, the I was going to say the weakest link. That's obviously not the right word, but you know, the one he was the one that missed a couple of chances. Um, he was unlucky with the one. Header, but the one he planted straight at Courtois, he couldn't get his feet sorted for that second half chance. He still did a good job for the team, um, but you know City have scored five in the Champions League semi-final, and he's not scored any of them. So the idea that they signed him to, to you know, to he's going to be the difference in in this team. He certainly improved them, obviously, but it does show he could they can cope without his goals as well. Um, yeah, I I just thought to a man they were they were brilliant. Like I said, I thought Stones in that midfield role was was phenomenal for the first twenty minutes, especially and and the whole game. De, De Bruyne, the effort De Bruyne puts in is is unbelievable. Um, you know, we all know he's a bit of a a, a moody chap, shall we say at times now, and is probably all seen the clip of his argument with Guardiola and telling Guardiola where to go, and he's told him to to pass the ball, and he looked. You know, just before he put the cross in for Akanji's goal, he looked absolutely dead on his feet. Which for someone who, you know, it's, it I didn't really get a lot of attention, but for someone who didn't play at the weekend, you know, it's quite interesting to see how exhausted he was. Whether he's he's carrying something or there's something going on there, but you know, it was surprising. To see, we know how much he puts into games, but it was surprising to see how wiped out he looked in the final twenty minutes when he when he hadn't played. Um, yeah, like I say, Grealish and Bernardo, phenomenal. Um, defense just so so comfortable, and I think there's you know there's an irony in a way that a manager who who once said he wanted to play with eleven midfielders and, and has been obsessed with putting midfielders in defense and midfielders in attack at times has basically built maybe the best team in Europe by essentially playing three or four centre backs. And if Ake was fit, we'd probably have a team of four centre backs. And in a way, that's kind of what's making the difference for for City that. I do think there's something in what you were saying about the Champions League before that it's not been total chaos this year. When it turns into chaos and it, it kind of follows this narrative of anything can happen in games, 
doesn't always suit City. This year, it, it's been a bit purer. There's only really been uh, Liverpool, Real Madrid first leg that's been like typical bonkers Champions League games. When it's just <clears throat> two teams playing sensible football and the best team wins, then City are going to win because they're the best team. So in a way, it's it suited them. Um, and, and there's maybe something in that. But I think also this, the defensive system and, and going into the way they're playing with this defence, it, you know, it's noticeable that Guardiola is perfectly happy to leave 3v3 at the back now because Akanji wins every duel, um, Diaz wins every duel, Ake, when he's there, wins every duel, Walker had the speed on Vinicius, he's he's happy to play man v man and it's, you know, he's always said previously that in the Champions League it's what happens in, in both boxes that cost them and Haaland's fixed it at one end and playing three or four centre-backs and the team has fixed it at the other end. Um, you know, he doesn't need full-backs because he uses, basically uses them to defend now and like we say, Akanji's played maybe four games, five games now at left-back in his life but what he's doing is essentially man-marking the, the opposition's right winger and City will go 3v3 at the back because they know Diaz will beat Benja, Benzema, Walker will beat Vinicius and Akanji will beat Rodrigo and then they've got Stones and Rodri and Gundogan ready to pick up the second ball so I do think that um, that switching from a team of midfielders to a team of defenders has, has worked quite well for, for Pep. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought it translate to so many goals being scored? But Joe, quickly, is there any other players you want to kind of uh, single out for praise, particularly? I just think well, I've written a piece in the morning about Edison and in both both ties, both legs, he's uh, produced some really important saves at big times. That was obviously the the very strange criticism of him that he didn't create enough sort of match winning saves that your players like David De Gea might do at times although that comparison hasn't aged very well and now Edison has shown it himself that he is going to you know do do what uh, his teammates can do and turn up in the in the big games and, and the big stages so hopefully I don't think it will be but hopefully that is the end of what is a, a very boring argument of uh, Edison shouldn't be playing as many games as he does for City yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we have got the final. It is booked in, of course. Ty City will be playing Inter in Istanbul on June 10th. And it's, it's set to be quite an intriguing one. Bernardo was asked after the match what he thinks. And he said, like, oh, I've seen, I watched the game against uh, AC Milan when they won 1-0. On the night to go through to the final 3-0 aggregate, he watched them play Benfica, Bayern, Barcelona. And he said they're a very organised, strong team. And then Guardiola himself said, this is this is not a nice gift, uh, playing an Italian team. Um, there was a lot of talk on the kind of the, the beat from the BT pundits, oh, this is basically the final I and mean, City win here they've they've got through and blah, blah, blah and they've won it now I'm sure no that Guardiola or any player will be have that mindset in the slightest but it'll be important not to underestimate Inter even if City are clear favourites here yeah it will and they will be huge huge favourites for that game I mean Simone Inzaghi is, is a phenomenal cup manager his record in cup games in Italy is is remarkable really Um but this is a team that starts Matteo Darmian, Henrik Mkhitaryan and Edin Dzeko. So really there should there should only be one winner. It's an, you know it's a one-off game. We can never be sure exactly what's going to happen, but it's hard to see how Inter live with them. I was you know I was saying last night that I think arguably City's greatest impediment to the treble might be the fact that if they go to Istanbul seeking the treble and start nervously in a way like they did against Chelsea um, two years ago. I think, you know, a lot of that was down to, to team selection as well. I think we all we can all pick 10 of 11 starters for for Istanbul now. It's probably only a case of, of Ake or Walker and, and who's fit. I think the rest we can we can pick the team now. Um, but if they were to start nervously and into drag them into some kind of war of attrition, then, you know, that that's maybe the only the only area you can see where where things go wrong. Um, you know, you get games where a team might have twenty shots and just don't score, but I don't. You just don't see it with this City team at the moment. You, you know, you can never take a ninety-minute game for for granted. It is, you know, it's a low-scoring sport. Well, it normally is unless City are playing at home, but generally it's a low-scoring sport, and that leaves it more susceptible to to luck than than any other game really. And the best team don't always win tournaments and win football matches because, it, it, you know, there's it. it 
game's finished 1-0 and that, that can open it up to luck and like you say you might face a goalkeeper like Courtois who who keeps out all your efforts or or young Andre Anana might have the game of his life City might miss three penalties they might have the bar five times these these things do occasionally happen but when you analyse the two teams and you look at the form they're in and the way City are playing it is hard to escape the idea that that how and how to win to Milan stop them and it's um you know, it's difficult to see how they stop them. And especially when City have just done that to Real Madrid. You know, Inter, I put in my piece last night, the celebrations in Milan were probably cut pretty short last night when they were watching that because Real Madrid are the gold standard in Europe. 11 semis in 13 years, 29 widders medals in that team last night compared to Scott Carson's in the in the City squad. And it felt like a, a changing of, of the guards, the way that, you know, the way that City played. And it felt like, it almost felt like a coming of age night for the team in Europe. It's it's taken a long time in in that competition, but it did feel like you know it it, it whatever happens in the final, it arguably feels now it should be how many do they win under Guardiola, not do they win this competition, because they are quite clearly the best team in Europe. The only question mark over that is how much longer does Guardiola stay, and obviously the charges again and what happens with them. But all things being equal, it feels like how many how many they should win. And I think beating Real Madrid in the way they did would give them a lot of a lot of confidence. You know, I put it in my piece that Real Madrid, you know, Real Madrid are never dead in Europe, but they were never even alive at the Etihad. They were that they were that dominated and that should give City so much confidence going to the final, knowing that if they can do that to Real, they can definitely do it to Inter Milan. Definitely. I'd love to know if any player's gone longer than Scott Carson's 18-year wait between Champions League winner medals. That must be must be a record, because I can guarantee Pep will get him on the bench, get him his medal. There's no no question about that, I reckon. But Joe, you know, that is everything Ty says there is true, but Inter have been very good defensively um, you know, um, st- uh, during this uh, tournament. And they do have some good threats going forward, you know. City know Ed and Jacko very well, despite his um, thirty-seven. He's you know, despite his aging years, he did score a stunning goal in the first leg against AC Milan. They do have Lutaro Martinez. They do have Amelio Lukaku when he starts. They do have Barea, a good mid, very good midfielder. Like of the two teams, of well, even of the kind of four teams, City perhaps could have faced with Napoli fading away um, in the last few months. Like Inter were the hardest one out of that the semi final, the quarter finalists on that side they could have got, and they, they do. You know, I think it's funny if we see kind of names we've seen from the Premier League of the last six seven years. You know, you look at Mkhitaryan and and Lukaku, and we see them and we think, oh, they are just Premier League uh, flops. They can't do anything, but they have got to the Champions League final. They, I think they're the informed team in, in Italy at the moment, and. They will be. They do have threats going forward. That you know, they're very good at counter attacking. It will be almost a cliched sort of inter team going in, where they will just try and lock up at the back and hit City on the counter. And you know, we have seen that City can can get done every now and then when they get done quick on the turn. Well, Guardiola said, didn't he? It's it's not a gift to play an Italian side in in the final. And if he was going to pick a side, sort of let's say from the quarter final lineup, he probably wouldn't have wanted someone like Inter who like you say will just put men behind the ball it's it's happened a couple of times this season where one shot on target has been enough to get a point or maybe more from from City so yeah I think even City fans would probably be more nervous about Inter Milan beating them than Real Madrid just because of that whole typical City factor and there's always however good City are playing however much they demolished Real Madrid it's still Manchester City, so for a lot of fans, they would they will fear that they've done the hard work and then fall at, at the final hurdle. And I mean, they should have beaten Chelsea, shouldn't they, in in the final last time? So it's just because you're there doesn't mean you're going to win. And uh, I just think there is a different feeling at City. Just just being in the room with Guardiola before the game, where the world's media were there and. He said, it doesn't matter if we win. As long as we play our best, we know we will win. If we don't, the team will win. But we know we're there. We know that standard's there. There was just a calmness there that maybe he's been a bit more anxious and agitated before. Even with Kyle Walker, who's a bit more brash, but still, I think the team know they're good enough to win it. It's not whether they're good enough, it's just whether they can get over the line. So I, I feel there's a bit of a different mentality in the squad this time. Definitely, and we know we can't wait for the final um, a few weeks away, but we'll put European football to a little bit of a close for now, and in part three we'll 
cast eyes on the Premier League because another trophy might be coming to the Etihad quite a lot sooner. See you in just a minute. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Talking City podcast and Ty, after all um, of the uh, the title race and the oohs and ahs and the back and forths and oh, could it go to the wire or Arsenal, a real challenger and they were in fairness for quite some time but not for long enough and on Saturday it could all be wrapped up with three games to spare. City could be crown champions if Nottingham Forest defeat Arsenal which is unlikely, but you never know. But regardless, if City then defeat Chelsea at home on Sunday, they'll have it won with two games to spare, which I think Sai mentioned quite a while ago, and both us and Joe as well, which looks at that double header in the last week of the season away at Brentford and Brighton. It's quite a central kind of tricky one. Brentford, of course, as you mentioned, beat City earlier in the season. Brighton remain incredible at times. Now, that's not a great final week of the season, but instead they could have it all wrapped up in their last home game and those two final away games of the season can be literally dead rubbers. Do play anyone who's not going to play in the two upcoming finals. Chill out, rest, and it couldn't have worked out better if they, of course, get it done this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think they will get it done this weekend one way or the other. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if they won the title on Saturday night. To be honest, it it feels over. Well, it is over for Arsenal now, isn't it? And Nottingham Forest are desperate for the points. Wouldn't surprise me if they did beat beat Arsenal. Um, hopefully for City, it will get done on Sunday because it's always nicer to win the league under your own steam, really. And I mean, I would be absolutely astonished if Chelsea got anything at the Etihad the way City are playing there. The the weakness of Frank Lampard's teams are that Frank Lampard is the manager, but also that. They're so they're so bad off the ball. They're so open that they just look. They all look poorly coached, and they can't stop conceding goals. His Everton team was so easy to to play through, and if that's the case on on um, on Sunday, then City could run up any score they want. And for Chelsea, it feels like their season's just sort of limping to this sad conclusion. They got that win at Bournemouth, but then they only drew against Forest last week, and. Um, it's hard to see there doesn't seem a lot of fight in that team at the moment and that's what they're going to need to show on Sunday so yeah I think they will get it get it wrapped up and like you say great to have those those two games and be fascinating to see what Guardiola does with the team um, I still think at least one of those games will play a strong team maybe probably Brentford I guess um, we know he likes rhythm in players and, and things like that so I still think he'd probably play the cup final team maybe against Brentford with a full week before the, the semi-final but yeah, I think there's there's been a narrative that's taken hold since since City beat Arsenal um, 4-1. This this narrative that this was always inevitable, but you know I I don't think that's the case. I think people are being disingenuous when they say that this was always inevitable, given City's riches and and Arsenal's kind of surprise run. No one felt this was inevitable when Arsenal were eight points clear. I think in February and March we still thought Arsenal would would hold on. They were still racking up the wins they went through a great run when City were just starting their winning run Arsenal were an even longer one so you know I don't think there's been any sense that it's it's inevitable that 4-1 was obviously a turning point and Arsenal are kind of stumbling over the finish line now so things have changed there but I don't think this was inevitable in in March at all and before that that Etihad game um, they obviously lost a lot of momentum with those three successive draws beforehand but Arsenal have been 
worthy opponents but you know if City win their last three of the season they're going to get 94 points I think um, which again is a you know an, an amazing total and it just shows what it takes to, to, to stop this team really Yeah absolutely there's been a lot of kind of bottle job debate hasn't there about Arsenal and I think it can go both ways I think you can't say a team was eight points clear and then drew with you know re- nearly relegated West Ham after being 2-0 up and who was the other relic Forest they've just drawn with no who was the other team they drew with in that? Southampton they drew with 3-3 and they drew they were 2-0 up at Liverpool as well weren't they exactly yeah so you can't not say you know 2-0 two, two up in two games and drawing both and then drawing with Southampton by far the worst team in the league you can't look at those results and not say it's a choke of some respects but I think they've done kind of so so well to kind of come this close really they were fifth last year they didn't make that you know Sinchenko and Gabriel Jesus were the only real kind of additions and then Trassard at the halfway point they've done Arteta's done a lot with what they already had you know he's made Xhaka into an actually good player which is a remarkable feat Um, Saliba being injured has really cost them and Saka has been sensational like it's, it's so unfortunate for him but again, in the same is has been a bit of a bottle job, and I think, I think I, it was the point where when they coped without Jesus, when well, I think we said on this podcast when he was injured, it's like if they can come through this and they're still in the in the hunt, then maybe they will do it. And then Aketia came in and started scoring. Like it did seem like they would have enough, but they have just just faded when when it, you know when it matters most, and then, you know they haven't got as good a squad of in depth or as quality as City. And maybe it is a bit expected like that, but I do think the talking point, I'm sorry, the turning point was that FA Cup win. And I think I think Sai said it's like as soon as City, you know, in that FA Cup they beat them one 0 It was Ake, wasn't it? And like that after that is when Arsenal's kind of momentum wobbled a little bit, and we thought, oh, it doesn't really matter for Arsenal. It's a cup game. They're probably happy to be out of it, but they lost once and they lost again, and then they lost to City again. Like the, all the big matches they lost, and it was that first one where the wobble kind of came in. But of course. Chelsea at the weekend, Joe, it can be wrapped up regardless of what happens on Saturday. Does Pep go kind of strong gear just to make sure it's finished if it's not at that point? Or, or does Calvin Phillips finally get a Premier League start to make sure he gets that medal? No no haggling over it whatsoever. I don't I really don't know. I think it will depend on what happens on Saturday night, and I'm I'm hoping that it's not wrapped up on Saturday night because uh I won't be able to to do anything uh, if they do win win the title. I'm hoping it is done on on Sunday, like Ty said, with with the fans as well. It's it would be better, but it would also be better if if the trophy can be lifted at the Etihad and uh, the fans can can get to to witness that. I think if they win, he will rest a few players. Maybe like you say, Rodri De Bruyne will uh, will get a rest. I mean, De Bruyne's still got two, only two assists away from equaling his own record in terms of assists in a season. So it de- it depends whatever issue he has at the moment. I know Thierry Henry alluded to something, so I, d- I don't know, but it would be nice for him to get to get that record if possible. Haaland will probably want to extend as many goals as he can and, and just cement that record, even though no one's really going to get close, you would think, in, in the next few years. But um, no, I think it will depend on if they win the league on Saturday night and, and how strong those uh, those celebrations are. Um, but no, I, I echo what you say about Arsenal and, and their running. I think they just ran out of steam and, and those three games, including the FA Cup, City looked like a team who'd been here before and knew what to do. I think we might have said this before and Arsenal definitely looked like a team who were there for the first time and I think they just run out of steam. But um, I, I did think it would go to the final week. I'm, I'm surprised at the fact that the, it's gone already basically that the title can be won at the weekend and we were driving back from Everton thinking we've we've got to prepare for this because we we were we thought we had another week in the bank to to, to prepare ourselves but it's it, it's almost certainly going to happen this weekend yeah you need to get them supplements written because it's going to to be you know the first of many many thrilling weeks for city of course the first leg of the treble could be wrapped up on saturday or sunday and of course we'll be back next week to talk all about it well i say we i won't i'm on my jollies so i'll leave it to you joe to get the next podcast started a brief gander at the rotor tells me potentially tuesday when three of you are in so maybe that'll be when we're back to discuss uh, the 
game over Chelsea and if City have been crowned champions or not. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. To keep up to date with all the latest uh, breaking news and expert analysis and match day coverage, you know where to go. It's ManchesterEveningNews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. You can get our Twitter at Man City MEN and our Facebook uh, is Manchester Evening News dash Man City, as is our YouTube channel, which has just broken the magic 1,000 subscribers, Max. So thank you all very much for that. If you haven't um, clicked that subscribe button yet, you are missing out. So get on it. Don't 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 delay. And of course, if you've and if you've seen this in your feed, you'll be aware that uh, and the little city extra pods uh, popping up in that feed now as well. Get on that. Um, I think we're, the latest has been looking at Pep Guardiola's pre post match press conference after Real Madrid. So get on with that if you so desire. Plenty of content to go around until we're back next week. So fill your boots. Uh, but until then, everyone, thank you very much. We'll see you later. Ta-ra. Right.